When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. The CFL schedule reads Thursday, June 11th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Edmonton Eskimos home to the BC Lions. This would have been opening night, home opener for the Eskimos in the CFL. But, of course, the season is on hold until September at the earliest CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi will join us on Inside Sports tomorrow night. Now, a little more progress in the National Hockey League as training camp will begin on July 10th. It will be a July 10th training camp. I suppose we say everything is tentative at this point. Of course, the NHL and the Players Association uh, saying in a release that this has provided the medical and safety conditions allow for this and the parties have reached an overall agreement on resuming play the length of training camp and the start of phase four which are the actual games still to be determined the location of the actual games the hub cities still to be announced as well we could know a little bit more tomorrow maybe even a lot more a lot of scuttle that the federal government could be announcing something tomorrow about declaring NHL players and team personnel essential workers so they could come across the border from the United States or if they are in other countries and that there could be some workaround of the 14-day quarantine that would make it more likely for Edmonton, Vancouver, or Toronto to be a hub city. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 7.07 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30. Chad, we will catch up with Chris Cuthbert very popular broadcaster, former Edmontonian. He'll be on between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Now, our first guest, I feel like our first guest tonight needs some kind of a special intro. Who's between the pipes tonight? Well, let me check my roster. Rudy's on duty tonight. There it is. Rudy on duty as he makes his final appearance until the NHL restart. One of the greatest goaltenders ever to grow up. In West Edmonton, it is my good friend, Kelly Reed. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm great, Reed. That was funny. One of the best ever in West Edmonton. Well, That's awesome. There's some pretty good goalies that uh, were in around that area, though. It's, so that is pretty unique, pretty cool. Well, was it so tart you were saying a few weeks ago was in your neighborhood? And uh, Clint Malarchuk. Um uh, there's this guy by the name of John Dobbin, by the way, and uh, he was the rock star uh, in midgets, and he never did make it. But uh, I was always uh, in awe of him. He, uh, I, I thought he was the uh, the best goalie at midget uh, at that time, and uh, I'm not sure how it got off track for him. I know that he had tried out for junior A at the time, and I sort of lost track of him, but there were some really good goalies around. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun talking about where you came from, where, where you grew up, where you played before yeah. you, you became a household name for sure. Kelly, look, the NHL, another small step forward today. Well, maybe this is a more significant state step than other ones. Actually announcing training camp July 10th, which we'd heard a couple of weeks ago was the earliest possible date it was going to be. 
Kelly, I, I've talked to some ex-NHLers. I, I've talked to some current NHLers. And some current NHLers have been on the record about this, but there, there's plenty kind of off the record or guys who will say, don't quote me on this. And I, and I talked to another yep. guy today who's who's not an oiler, by the way. There are some real reservations about finishing this season. Like the, the, the guys today said, I'm not sure why we're doing this. And then we're going to throw off the hockey calendar for maybe a couple of years after this. I thought it was pretty interesting. Well, I, I hesitate because I sort of agree with that uh, that uh, comment. Um, I don't think we'll throw off the hockey season for a couple of seasons. I think it one more season. So if, in fact, they're able to complete this season and start next year in December or January, it will go until whatever, July or something. Then they'll have to fire back up again as they normally would in September at training camp. So it is going to look different. It's going to feel a lot different uh, for the players, and I, I do have empathy for that um, and what they're going to be going through because this is extremely unique. Um, but I, I'm, the way I look at it, uh, if I were a player, and uh, I would be very excited that we're going to resume action. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to hand out a Stanley Cup this year, and then we'll play uh, close to a full season. I don't, I don't know if it'll be an 82-game season next year. I'm sure the league would love that. The owners would love that. But I don't know if you could actually pull it off. Maybe one time in the National Hockey League uh, in recent history, anyways. Maybe they'll play 70 games. I'm not sure how it's going to look, but. I do understand how some players are, are feeling that way. You know, the one thing that for me, and I think we talked about this uh, last week or two weeks ago, when they do come back, more the way I see it, I would be more concerned about the mental wellness of all these players and how they're going to uh, react. And coming back too soon, maybe, maybe not feeling quite safe enough um, and or just mental health issues. Uh, how am I dealing with this? This is overwhelming to me. Uh, I don't like it. And, you know, it's throwing off or it's adding to my anxiety or my de- depression or OCD, whatever a player might have or somebody in his family. So I get all these concerns, but I think just the overall big picture for me, I'm really excited. Like when I heard today, July 10th, that really got me going because I was hoping the earliest would maybe be July 15th. And then I heard rumors like three weeks ago that it's most likely the earliest from camp is August 1. And so to hear today's announcement, just thrilled. Yeah, and I'd heard that, that maybe it was actually going to be July 14th at the earliest, so it does turn out to be July 10th. Mm-hmm. Now, training camp, week and a half, maybe two weeks, there's clearly going to be some time to to travel to the hub city and probably have a couple of practices there. Nugent Hopkins was on on Friday. He even mentioned the possibility of playing one exhibition game before you jump into it. But, you know, it it might be uh, late July hockey, maybe starting around the city. I I thought the NHL was kind of going to let the NBA go first. That's often sort of how it works in that hierarchy of the big four in North American pro sports. But there's a potential here for the NHL to face off before the NBA tips off. That's interesting about uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins saying about playing one uh, exhibition or preseason game because I had not heard that before. He's certainly more well-informed than I am uh, talking to PA members. But, uh, man, that would be ideal, I would think. I, I Personally, I can't see the players wanting a three-week training camp. That just seems excessive to me. Uh, I, I can't see, uh, unless I'm completely off, I don't see a, a professional hockey player's brain thinking that that's okay because I, I just I think they're going to have enough lead time to practice 
uh, now that they're allowed to enter rinks now and get into it a little bit and, uh, you know, be full speed at uh, on July 10th. So that that is interesting. I, I would think personally that would be very important to have one exhibition game or preseason game just so you sort of get your feet under yourself and the idea of competition again. And, uh, man, I'd be all for that. I don't know if the uh, PA and the NHL can agree upon that, but that would be cool. Somebody just wrote in on the text line here, 780-496-0063. Why would the NHL open training camps without getting clearance from local health officials in each city? Well, I think they're looking at it being a month away, and a lot of cities, I mean, 10 of the 31 teams in the NHL have specifically said, we want to host games. And I think if there is an announcement from the federal government in Canada tomorrow anyway about declaring NHL teams essential workers that they'd figure out a way to, to run a training camp but that's definitely a good question i mean if it goes really poorly in some city they a team might not be allowed to have their camp there i mean that that could be a concern if there are some districts where the the virus isn't being handled very well so that's that's it, a legitimate question yeah that's a very good question and i think that um What's really important uh, in the context of uh, answering is that, yes, everybody is concerned about the health and safety of all the players, the executives, uh, the officials, everybody that's going to be involved in a, in a relaunch of the, the season. Um, having said that, I know that uh, the NHL and the PA and everybody involved, they're heavily involved in conversations with the, the health um, you know, people. So all this, everybody's in agreement right now that they're looking ahead to that date that it, it should happen. And But, you know, the health officials, they're making sure that they're having constant communication with the NHL and the PA and making sure that they're not doing something that could cause a second wave. That's the biggest concern for me. Like, I want the NHL back. I want to go broadcast. I want to watch. But not at the expense of the public health and everybody else's health. Kelly, we have a fun poll on our website this week. You can go to globalnews.ca, 630chat.com, go to the Oilers page. Fans can vote on the NHL, or pardon me, on the Oilers all-time all-stars, six forwards, four defensemen, two goalies, and a coach. I'm going to bring in the goalies, and I I have the results. I have access to to daily updates. Grant Fewer is going to be the number one goalie. I won't say who has the edge for the number two goalie because I don't want to influence the voting too much, but I'll say it's really, really close, like super close between Bill Ranford and Curtis Joseph to be, I guess, Fewer's backup on our hypothetical all-star team. Okay, can I throw in two other names in there for honorable mention because uh, I think that they, they, they deserve it? So Andy Moog was a phenomenal goaltender. He, Andy does not get the credit that he deserves. He was uh, instrumental in leading the Oilers to all those cups while he was there, uh, alongside Grant, of course. Grant, unquestionably the number one guy. But uh, And then for people older than uh, <laughs> yourself, uh, Jacques Plante. Most people don't remember that Jacques Plante played for the Oilers way back. I think they still might have been the Alberta Oilers. And uh, not that he had a great uh, run with the Oilers, but uh, still, he was an idol of mine, and he's one of the most uh, uh, famous goaltenders to ever play the game. I know he's out of the running. I'm just making that point because I love the man so dearly. Anyways, to answer your question, I think I'm going to have to go with 
Bill Ranford because of the Conn Smythe Trophy and the Stanley Cup and so on. And I do it with a heavy heart because Curtis Joseph at the time, when he was playing for the Oilers, I remember going on Hockey Night in Canada, and I was still a player at the time, and I said that I thought... Uh, Ron McLean asked me who I thought the best goalie in the league was at the time, and I said Curtis Joseph. And he was playing with the Oilers at the time. But uh, I think Bill Ranford may lead simply because of uh, his accomplishments with the team. Won the Conn Smythe in 1990, had a really poor first game of the playoffs against the Jets, allowed six goals on 30 shots. Jets got an empty netter to win 7-5. The Oilers were down 3-1 in that series, won it in seven. And then Ranford only lost three games in the final three games of the final three series of the playoffs. And Cujo on a team that was an underdog when they were in the playoffs. I mean, one of what are the top five plays in Oilers history? It's probably top yeah. three. The yeah. save on New. Like I, I would say Gretzky's shorthanded goal, uh, probably Pisani's shorthanded goal in overtime, and Cujo's save might be the three most famous plays in team history. And then don't forget the next year against the Avalanche. They were down three games to one, and Cujo got shutouts in games six and seven. So not as deep into the playoffs, but pretty pretty awesome goaltending on a team that was an underdog. No question about it. And and that's why it was a tough one, right, to pick between those two guys because their accomplishments were incredible. Um, but, yeah, when you think of Bill, I mean, uh, you know, I played against him for a long, long time as well, and he was just the ultimate competitor. You knew every single game that you were going to play against him, that he was going to compete against you for 60 minutes. He wasn't, and I won't name names, but there were a few goalies that you knew if you maybe got three fairly early or certainly four in a game, that they'd shut her down. And uh, some pretty good goalies too, by the way. But uh, they just they didn't feel like it was their night, and you know they'll, they'll move on, and next game they'll be spectacular. But Bill wasn't that way. I think he and I had the same sort of mindset. I'm going to stay in the net. I don't care if I'm giving up seven or eight. I'm going to play the entire night, and I'm going to compete with my buddies. All right, and the final one for you, Kelly. We we have your now co-worker coming up between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Chris Cuthbert is leaving TSN. He's jumping over to Sportsnet. He's going to be calling hockey games, and uh, that's, that's a pretty big coup for Rogers to have Cuth coming over. That sure is. You know, when you sent me that text today, I was like, okay, you know, CC, even though we're, we have different jobs, he's doing play-by-play, I'm doing color. He really taught me a lot about broadcast broadcasting industry. He and Harry Neal, I think, were the first two guys that would tell me, you know, I remember one day, because most people think of me as studio guy for Hockey Night, but back in the day when I first joined full-time in 98, I was doing uh, studio but then Hockey Night, they weren't exclusive to Saturdays. Like, we were doing some Sunday games. We are doing some Thursday games and so on. So I was doing color on a lot of those night, nights. I think I went back through my notes. I did somewhere around 40 games. And uh, I did a, a bunch of Don Whitman. And I did a bunch of CC or Chris Cuthbert. And Cuthbert, I remember telling me one time, I was agreeing with him too often during the show. And early on, I'd go... You're exactly right, Chris. And he stopped me in my tracks in the first uh, TV timeout and said, Kelly, stop it. Quit agreeing with me all the time. And then, furthermore, another time, he and both uh, Harry Neal, as I said, they said, Kelly, it's okay. You can disagree with me. But, you know, that's perfectly fine. We don't always have to have the same opinion. So that's what I think about Chris and how he helped me early on in my broadcasting career. 
Yeah, and I've mentioned this a few times. Uh, a guy I, I watched a lot doing the, the late news on CBC Edmonton, the late sports cast. I'd stay up Friday and Saturday in junior high and high school in Evansburg, and you know Chris yep. would have all the hockey highlights and whatever else they were showing that day. So it's going to be fun to have him on the show. Did Kelly, it's always Evans- a pleasure. Hey, hang on. Did you just say Evansburg? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in Evansburg. I didn't know that. I well, I've never told you that? No, and you know, you know why it's important? Because I used to go fishing in the Pembina River. Oh, yeah, yeah, right between Evansburg and Entwistle. Yeah, divides yeah. the grand twin towns. <laughs> I know, right? I, that was one of my spots. In fact, I, early on when my wife and I were just dating, my mom and dad and uh, Donna went out to uh, the Pembina River, had a beautiful picnic, and I did a little fishing. It was awesome. Great memory. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, tell you what, Kelly, we're, we're going to have you on starting weekly when hockey gets going, so hopefully that's late July or early August, so enjoy the next month or so. You know I love having you on. The listeners love you. Take care of you and your family, man. Hope everybody's well. Yeah, same. Thanks. That is Kelly Rudy checking in tonight, Inside Sports on 630 Chad. we got to call a quick timeout. We will touch on a little bit of golf. The PGA is back. A special song put out by an Edmonton Oilers prospect and Chris Cuthbert coming up. This is part of a new song co-written and performed by Edmonton Oilers prospect Cooper Marodi. We've profiled him on the show before about his country music aspirations. Emily Cave, the widow of Colby Cave, said she wanted a song that really connected her with Colby since he passed away in April. She went to Cooper to write something, and this is what he came up with. It's called Agape. It is available for download tomorrow. And all proceeds from the song will go to the Colby Cave Memorial Foundation. And uh, more on that on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. Uh, Colby Cave, or uh, pardon me, uh, Cooper Marodi did a, a Zoom availability today. Uh, really emotional, really honest, and explained the, the inspiration for the song, Emily's reaction to it. Good stuff there from Cooper Marodi. As I mentioned, golf is back. They are playing Without fans, no galleries at the Charles Schwab Challenge, Fort Worth, Texas. Justin Rose and Harold Varner III tied for the lead. I don't know. Can you hear that, Kellen? I got some audio playing on my computer. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, they're Justin Leonard, Charles Varner III, uh, Howard Varner III. Tied for the lead at uh, seven under par. Okay, going to take a quick timeout. This will be fun. Chris Cuthbert, now with Sportsnet, the NHL on Rogers, one of the best-known play-by-play voices in Canadian broadcasting history. He's next. July 10th, July 10th, announced today by the NHL and its Players Association for Phase 3, that is training camp. No other announcements when it comes to Hub Cities, 
when the games will start, all that kind of stuff. Still a lot to work through for the National Hockey League, but they do take another small step forward today. I mentioned the Canadian Football League. This would have been kickoff night for the Eskimos and the Lions at Commonwealth Stadium. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi will join us on Inside Sports tomorrow, which brings us to our next guest. First down, Wiley Some classic Eskimos moments. Now, of course, we brought you all of those on 630 Chet, but on the television side on TSN and the voice of the CFL on TSN until, well, just uh, about a week and a half ago, Chris Cuthbert joins us on the line. Chris, you're on with Reed. Great to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Uh, yeah, that uh, BC Edmonton matchup would have been a good one. Yeah, would have had Mike Riley coming back to town. Of course, he broke his wrist here in a game last year, and there's always going to be the emotional connection for the Eskimos uh, to, to Riley, regardless of who he plays for. Man, your voice, Chris, is on pretty much every signature CFL moment going back over uh, over over a decade. That's going to be pretty cool to think about that. You know, I, I started, uh, my first uh, TV call was in 1991, but I actually started as a, a sidelines guy on the uh, Montreal Alouettes radio in 1981, and Wally Buana was still in the Alouettes lineup, and they, the Owls that year, had a, they brought in Vince Ferragamo, who had been in the Super Bowl the year before with the L.A. Rams, but, and there were great expectations, but uh, I think the team won four games that year. It was a complete disaster, but uh, I'll tell you what, there were some interesting guys, including uh, a defensive lineman by the name of Chris Walby in his rookie year, and uh, I, I'm just telling you all this to let you know that, uh, yeah, I've been around the league a long time, and, uh, and I'm going to miss it. Were they playing in the Big O in 81? Yes, they were. Yeah, in fact, uh, I became the voice of the Montreal Concords uh, in 82 through 84, and they were, they were still playing at the Big O then. Uh, uh, in fact, not only did uh, that Concords team have one Canadian quarterback, they actually had two, and uh, consider that now with uh, how rare that is. But back then they had both uh, Jerry Dottilio and a French-Canadian kid by the name of Luke Tuzignan, who... Uh, had uh, had a few reps in the league. Wow, I I don't remember those those guys. I mean, I was definitely watching the league then, but I, man, I I do not remember those players. And you got to call three seasons of the Montreal Concords, which means you got three or four victories in there. They, yeah, they there were weren't many. Very good. There weren't many. One last story about them because it's kind of neat. Uh, it was a rebuild, and they were a last place team. And Joe Galat, who later became a CBC color commentator was the man in charge of GM and coach. And uh, he told me at a, at a point in time that he had put a guy by the name of Doug Flutie on the Alouettes, or the, sorry, the Concords negotiation list. And he was quite confident that Flutie would change the fortunes of Montreal football. And a little later that year, Flutie threw the Hail Mary pass. And I was impressed. I thought, wow, this is the guy that's going to change football in Montreal. And Joe was devastated because he knew that that 
that Hail Mary was going to give Doug Flutie a chance to play at least for a time in the National Football League. And uh, we do know the rest of the story. Flutie did come to the Canadian Football League a few years later, but not to Montreal. And he certainly made a big difference in, in both Calgary and Toronto. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's amazing. I, I never knew that. But yeah, Flutie, an all-time great. We had more well, Warren Moon on the show last night, Chris. And, of course, you, you used to work uh, in Edmonton. I guess you came here after Moon played here. But he is still revered here in the city of champions whenever he's hey, talked hey, about he's he's revered across canada he's he's revered everywhere where people follow football and uh just one last one, i guess the the year ferragamo went to commonwealth they uh well, they were filling commonwealth all the time back then but uh they filled it that uh, night and i think warren moon filled the end zone to it i think i think edmonton put over 50 points on the board against montreal and uh and we found out that uh, the moon ferragamo matchup was uh was pretty one-sided you know what chris we had chris ferragamo or sorry chris uh, vince ferragamo on the show and i can't even remember when it when it was but you know dave campbell produced the show and one night we we're just like let's just try to get vince ferragamo and he came on i i wish i could remember more about what he said but yeah it's interesting you get those guys coming on telling stories okay we gotta we gotta get the update from you here that was big news you're going from tsn to sportsnet can you can you take us, uh, you know, us us people working in Edmonton and, and people who followed your career for years, how does something like this happen? How does the machine start working for you to make the move? Well, I, I, I think everybody's kind of got a pandemic story, and mine was uh, starting to reevaluate things as, uh, as you sit at home for month after month. And uh, meanwhile, at each night, Sportsnet playing all these old classic games from the 80s 90s and and uh, a lot of those games brought back some good memories for me like the the 91 series between the oilers and flames and uh uh messier's guaranteed game in uh, uh, 94 for the rangers and and that series which i did um, and and patrick was final game at the forum in montreal which i had the the privilege of doing and all those games started to remind me of you know uh, how special it was to work on saturday night and to follow the stanley cup playoffs and and as i was kind of looking at when i might have that opportunity in canada again it uh, the rights are another six years i i did some math with my age and figured out that if uh, if TSN did get the rights, and, and that wasn't even assured, I'd, I'd be close to 70 before I had another chance at uh, national TV uh, hockey play-by-play and, and a chance of calling a Stanley Cup. So uh, as my contract came near an end in late May, uh, my agent reached out and, uh, uh, and, and Sportsnet said that if I was a free agent, they talked to me, and when I, when my contract expired, they uh, they did uh, decide that I might be uh, I might be an acquisition for their team. Okay, I got to ask you the hard news question, so I'll be the jerk here. Don't be a jerk, <laughs> do, do, Reed. <laughs> do, do we read anything into your decision about the precarious future of the Canadian Football League? No, and maybe not. No, have, you know no? I. Okay. I I was I was kind of thinking about this uh, in the spring, you know, at home, and and uh, actually when when the news came out, 
kind of after I'd been really mulling this about, I, I kind of winced because, A, I don't want to see the league not, you know, play, but, B, I, I, I knew that that question might come. But, uh, listen, I, I love the league, and, and my best answer would be, that my first Grey Cup call was in 1996, and I had more than a few people say, I'm really happy you're going to get to call a Grey Cup because, unfortunately, it's going to be the last one. Well, 1996 was not the last one, and um, I don't think 2019 is the last one either. I, You know, I... Are they coming back this year? I don't think anybody's got that answer yet, but uh, I still believe in the league, and uh, I still believe that uh, uh, there's too many fans and, and too many people that love this league that uh, that aren't going to let it die. Well, you make a great point, and the CFL is interesting to me. So I mentioned watching – I mean, I was born in 1974, so I can remember the last couple Eskimos five in a rows and everything since then. And I, it seems like ever since I was five years old, someone's been telling me the CFL is on its last legs. Like, it o- occupies such an interesting place in our country because it has a lot of fans, but there's also – a lot of apathy and a lot of Canadians who will even actively say that they don't want to watch it. It's always been strange to me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that if you're a football fan, you're a football fan. Uh, I mean, in college football, the, you, you only watch the, the SEC. Uh, I, I watch any good football, and that includes uh, university football. And, uh, um, you know, it is frustrating at times. You, you kind of... Uh, uh, I've 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 always believed in the league, and I go back to the Russ Jackson days in the '60s. That's when I became a fan, and uh, uh, it was always an important part of of my sports appetite. I got to cheer. I started cheering for for teams in the NFL only because certain CFL stars were going down there, and I kind of pick up a following of whether it be. Uh, and I'm going way back to Vic Washington and Margie Atkins and Bo Scott, who went from Ottawa to the NFL, or Mac Heron, who was a great star in Winnipeg and went to the New England Patriots, Dieter Brock, who went down, and, and more recently Flutie, Jeff Garcia, you know, Alex Singleton, whoever, you name them, uh, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll cheer for those guys when they go down and make an impact because I think the most underrated athlete uh, that we follow is the Canadian football athlete. Uh, I I really believe that most of them are uh, would have an opportunity to play down there. If uh, you know, it's such a a draft order uh, uh, for the NFL setup that if you're if you're drafting the first three rounds, you're going to make an NFL roster before a guy that may be a, a better athlete that slipped through the cracks comes up to Canada hones their skills and then becomes uh, you know a star player those guys going back down to try have a real tough time uh, beating out a, a guy drafted in the first three rounds just because the GM's got to tell his owner uh, that uh, the draft choices he made are, were good choices. So, um, you know, it gets a lot deeper than that, but uh, the size of the field's different, different athletes recruited, but uh, I've always believed that uh, the Canadian Football League athlete is, uh, is really, I think, undersold by most of the sports fans that are out there watching. Chris Cuthbert joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Chris, you, you mentioned your your age, uh, 62, and where that might fit in for future contracts and broadcast rights. 
Al Michaels is 75, still calling the NFL's premier property Sunday night football. Used to be on Monday night football. Do you see yourself calling games at 75 or <laughs> maybe not a fair question? But I'm No, you know what? I'd love to. And, and uh, even my mother was giving me the gears about me saying I'm getting old. But, uh, you know, you can't take anything for granted. And there's lots of listeners out there who uh, know the name Dan Kepley, who I, I had the great opportunity to work with. Uh, at CBC, he was. We were, we were doing games together in the '90s, and whenever I planned for the future, Kepley would start shaking his head with dismay and say, "You show me the piece of paper that tells you that you're going to be around then." So, yeah, nobody's given me that piece of paper that says uh, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, around and fit to call games like Al Michaels when I'm 75. Man, I would love that opportunity. Uh, not much after 75, mind you, but. Uh, uh, I would love to, but in the meantime, I'm uh, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity that's been given me. Okay, so so with this move to Rogers, are you guaranteed to be the guy for the Stanley Cup final? I mean, clearly Jim Houston has no. been in that chair. Do you, we we don't know yet. No, not at all. Jim Jim and I are are both going to do games. There's no real uh, uh, right now. No real firm plan on. Uh, when I'll be doing or where I'll be doing games. I, I expect to be doing games at the Bell Center in Montreal and, and I, uh, right across the country. And uh, I've kidded because I'm not a big fan of that booth up top in Edmonton, but uh, uh, this is uh, this is how badly I wanted to have the lower uh, booth position in, in Edmonton. So now I'll get it on a on a Saturday night when I when I come to do Oiler games, which will be great too. So. And what Chris means is that every, all the media are in the press box at Rogers Place except the home TV broadcast or the Canadian national TV broadcast for national games. They get to call it from the concourse. We're only eight stories away from the ice, Chris. Yeah, it's, it's the... <laughs> It's the nosebleed section, to be sure. I mean, the first time in, I somebody had to tell me which one was Connor McDavid. So uh, uh, it, it, it's that's that's a tough place to call a game as well as you'd like to call it. That and yet the concourse is uh, as good a place in the league as you can get. So yeah, that's uh, that that was that's a major perk for me to go to Rogers. Uh, I'm going to close off with one final one. I, I mean, I, I always say for myself. I got into broadcasting is because I like telling stories and being creative. You you don't get into it to be the story, but you've risen to the point in your career the last couple times you've changed jobs that that in itself is a story. What's it like being in that spotlight? Yeah, I, I think all of us who are in this business don't like being the story. I certainly didn't like it in 2005 because that was not a voluntary move. Um, I'm much, I'm much more comfortable telling the stories of the guys on the ice and on the field, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to getting back to doing that uh, as soon as possible. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. We've had some people uh, texting in on our text line, numerous texts wishing you well. Of course, like me, a lot of people saying they remembered watching you anchoring in CBC Edmonton. So we wish you all the best, and we look forward to seeing you and hearing you when the NHL gets back. 
Thanks, Reed, and I appreciate that from all the fans, and I am uh, really looking forward to getting back to calling games on Saturday night, and calling some games in Edmonton will be terrific. Thank you. Right on. Right on. That is Chris Cuthbert checking in tonight. Awesome to have him back on Inside Sports. And, uh, yeah, a great guy, and he's been doing tons of interviews over the last week and a half, too. He knows how the business works, and uh, he uh, he knows a lot of people are interested in his move from TSN to Sportsnet, and he sounds pretty excited to be back doing a lot of hockey. I guess he did do a little bit of hockey. He'd do some NBC games, clearly Olympics along the way, but now jumping right back into the NHL. You can text 780-496-0063. That is also our open line number back in a couple of minutes on Inside Sports. Really good to catch up with Chris Cuthbert. Kelly Rudy was on the show tonight as well. The NHL has announced the start date for training camps. It is July 10th. Tomorrow, 6.30, Chad Mornings with Chelsea and Shea. They will start counting down the days. Chelsea and Shea, excellent duo here on 6.30, Chad. Kellen Kennedy back at the 6.30, Chad Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, how are things, old boy? Doing good. Holding it down, holding it down. How about you? I'm uh, I'm doing well, plugging away. I golfed today, first round of the year. Finally got out there, got mm-hmm. out, uh, teed off just after 6.30 at Riverside. And uh, my buddy and I were done just before 9.30, so a quick round. Some temporary greens in play at Riverside. They had some tough luck on some greens. I, I, I got, I, I'm calling it a modified eagle. And in my life, I've never been close to getting an eagle. I don't hit far enough to reach a par five and two. So that, like, I, I can't seriously count it as getting an eagle. But on the sixth hole at Riverside, it's one of the kind of elevated T par fives on the front nine. I hit a pretty good drive. And then it's a temporary green. So the hole was playing 30 to 40 yards shorter than usual. So then I was able to hit an iron. And I was to the right of the green in the rough. And then from there... I just hit this long 40 foot putt and they, but like out of the rough onto the fairway and then onto the temporary green, which is still fairway. And they have the cups elevated with the flag in and it's smashed off the cup and camera off to the side. And my buddy goes, that's an Eagle. You hit the cup. <laughs> so I was, I wasn't scoring to strictly today though. Give it a it's an Eagle. Uh, take, my, my first try. Yeah. Take the w I got and a, walk away. It's a modified. <laughs> it was like a 3.5 on a par five. We were joking. We should put down fractional and decimal scores uh, for holes. <laughs> All right. Like baseball. We got to sign off Oilers now from noon to two tomorrow. As I mentioned, Randy Ambrosi, CFL commissioner on inside sports tomorrow night. We're back at seven. Have a great evening. Take care. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.